You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, happy Mother's Day. You're very welcome. Who said that? Allison? Uh, Oh, Carla, okay. You know, I I think what an appropriate song for us to sing on Mother's Day. Death, where is your sting? It's been destroyed by Christ rising from the dead. This is a difficult day for a lot of women for a lot of reasons. Uh, It's an exceptionally good day for Hallmark. It is a difficult day for a lot of mothers just because of being reminded of loss or less than perfection if you were a mother or if you had a mother uh, who was not the best mother. You know, there is coming a moment where all the pain and sorrow and hurt of this life will be done. I've, I've heard, I think it was Sinclair Ferguson talking about what it must be like at the moment of death where uh, death moves in like a sting and just getting ready to do his nastiest work and the sting is removed. As difficult as some deaths are, just imagine what it's going to be like. And Allison and I were talking this morning about uh, the influence of both of our mothers and the, the blessing that we each uh, get to enjoy because of the other's mother and Linda and how it all just flows together. Uh, A lot of life doesn't make sense right now, but one day it's going to make sense in ways that you never imagined. It's beautiful that God has designed his creation the way that it is, fallen though it is, There are glimpses of what it's going to be like, and it is going to be beautiful and wonderful. And and don't you just love, from this morning here in Stacey, don't you love the mission work that is going out of Grace Community Church? I'm so excited. Week after week, somebody stands up here, and they're doing these awesome things. And time and again, the focus is on ministry. Uh, There's a lot of, uh, of service going on with these trips, but ministry is often uh, the focus. Well, just a few things before I jump in really quickly. Congratulations to Ricky Lee. Where is Ricky, who graduated with his Master of Divinity? And and that is to uh, all of our graduates. We have a number of graduates every year, and every single one of those Graduations represent years and years of hard work and loving care by a lot of people. So congratulations to all of you, but especially to Ricky. Last year, I've thought about this a lot. David, when David graduated, uh, it was right at the time where Callie Moody came to life. And so we're just grateful for the, 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 the cycles of life that can be painful now, but one of these days, it's going to all be Rejoicing for those who know Jesus. One last word to mothers. Uh, our parenting, last parenting class is on Monday night at 6, I mean Wednesday night at 6.30. 
So if you're tired of feeling like a failure as a mom, come to this class. It's going to be all right. Uh, chapter 14 in uh, Paul David Tripp's book is going to be our focus. The last chapter. If you haven't been one time, honestly, it would be very good for you to be here. Child care is provided. Uh, the Lord has given you a built-in child care husband. So you can use that one. Or we've, we've got one right here. So come at 6.30 and... The, the, the focus is mercy, and here's the subtitle or the, the, the principle that we will be discussing. No parent gives mercy better than one who is convinced that he desperately needs it himself. Notice Paul David Tripp said he, that's nice, the women don't need it, but you can maybe show up and help your husbands. That's the best kind of help, by the way. You, the preacher said this, and you needed to hear it. You should have been there. That's usually very successful. <laughs> well, if someone were to ask you, what is the vision? Vision, interesting, we're talking about sight, a ministry of sight this morning. What's the vision for Grace Community Church? How would you respond to that? Uh, it's a good question. For many years, evangelical churches rushed to join the secular world in trying to determine what's the vision for our future. And especially if you're spiritual, you can say, what does God want our church to be? And what is the vision for our church? Uh, and, and encouragement for churches to know where they were going, of course, is found in Proverbs 2019, which was often cited. Where there is no vision, the people perish. No wonder churches were dying. I mean, there was no vision. If you don't know where you're heading, how can you plan to get there? It didn't take too long for the evangelical world, though, to discover. That's not what that verse means. It, Proverbs 29, 18 was not encouraging individual believers or organizations to pray that they might discover what God had planned for them in the future. And if they would just take hold of it and just believe it and just move forward... And everything would be all right in their lives and in, in their organizations. The meaning of this verse really is where there is no word from God, then people will do as they please. Think of it, look at it in the ESV. Where there is no prophetic, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In fact, I don't think I've got this written anywhere in the sermon today, but this is the point. Everything we need to know about who we are is right here. Now, there's a lot more planning that goes into our future. We're going to talk about a lot this morning. Uh, but this is what we need to know about what God desires us to be. And in fact, when you think about the will of God, is it the will of God that I should take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? Let me just say, don't marry that person, okay? But <laughs> what, what it used to be the number one question. What is God's will for my life? I heard it all the time. It was asked all the time. 99.95% of God's will for your life is found right here. God is far more interested in who you are than in what you do. So when there is no prophetic vision or no word, the word is not elevated in our church's life or in our individual lives, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who keeps the law. I don't, as many times as I've read it in Romans 4, I've got to go back and really get this fully 
developed in my mind where Paul was talking about the, the ones of the Old Testament didn't keep the law by faith. Even in the Old Testament, I've known this for, for a long time, but this verse, is, it's got me interested in trying to understand how that when we approach the law, we must, God's word, God's design for us, we have to do so by faith. So, shouldn't have said that. It's got your minds going now and other things to think about this morning. We'll come back to it. Christian leaders eventually, though, finally put away Proverbs 29, 18. But the notion of a vision for churches had taken root, and it was here to stay, uh, to say nothing of the secular world, where it had been in play for many years. We're typically quite a few years behind the secular world. So don't get excited about the new trends, and this is what our church needs to be aware. Really? This is kingdom ministry. Uh, we don't want to be lacking many, many years behind what's going on in the world, not understanding our culture. We want to be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. We certainly want to be like that, but one of the best ways to indicate how far behind we are is just to latch on to something the world latched on to 10, 15 years ago, and then act like, well, we're, we're really with it now. Look, the church is always swimming upstream. We're always different from what's going on. So here's a question though, and it's a legitimate question. Where do you think God will have Grace Community Church five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now? Furthermore, what is our responsibility in getting to that place that God has determined what we should be? Uh, if we're going to make the most of Time, of the time and place in which the Lord has deposited and positioned us, then it's necessary for us to think ahead. We have to. We should acknowledge, though, that vision for a church is much more about planning and serving, and it is much more fluid than you might think in knowing exactly what God has designed for the future of his church and our church in particular as we're thinking about that. Is it wrong to contemplate God's vision for our church? No, so long as we recognize that vision used in this way is based on where we are in history, including the culture, uh, the opportunities, the spiritual gifts in our body and, and, body, and multiple other factors that go into saying where it is we're going or where God is taking us. And it's also important to remember that God's direction for our church can change very quickly due to factors beyond our control. What if... Harnett County were not, percentage-wise, one of the fastest-growing counties in the United States, not in North Carolina, but in the United States. In fact, some accounts say the fastest last year in 2018, growing county in America. Now, just imagine that. Thank goodness Southern Wake is not uh, growing very quickly, or we would be overrun. <clears throat> we would think differently about GCC, wouldn't we? If Harnett County were declining in population and Wake County. Instead, we are all aware that our area is growing 
quickly, including 700 homes right behind us going from here to 401. Uh, furthermore, I think, that, I think that we would all agree, I, I'm sure the great majority would, that God has blessed Grace Community Church in discernible and meaningful ways. So while thinking about vision, about where do you think God's going to have us in 10, 15 years, uh, it is certain. We, we recognize that vision is important to think about where we're going, but it is certain that all churches have been given a purpose and a mission. Our purpose statement here at Grace, exalt the Lord, establish believers, engage the world with the gospel. I love those shirts, by the way. Ricky, if there's any way I can get one of those, David, I don't know. David's the one that got those. I love those shirts, and hopefully, maybe we can make a bunch more and, and get folks wearing them. Our greatest priority in life is to worship the Lord, as Jesus told the Samaritan woman, in, in um, spirit and in truth. Then we are to build up other believers in the church, even as we seek to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. Now, there's a priority in this, even though we're, we're supposed to be functioning on all three, in all three areas simultaneously and be given attention simultaneously to all three prongs of this uh, of, of this purpose statement that we have. There is priority. I mean, why, what good does it do us to establish believers if we're not, if we're missing the main point, which is to exalt the Lord? If we're not worshiping Him, <clears throat> we're just going through ritual and going through the motions and getting everybody, okay, this is what you need to know, this is how you live, but you're really not connected with the Lord. And then, why would we want to invite lost and believers alike into our body if we're a bunch of weak and immature Christians bickering constantly with one another and, and got all this power, power play going on in our church at, at, at the expense of other people. Uh, God calls his church to give equal attention to all of these but to understand that our great Priority in life is to exalt the Lord. And when we worship Him and love Him as we should, it is natural that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And both of those other two uh, elements are, are, are wrapped up in that. So all three in the great commandment. This morning, our text is going to lead us to think about the mission. So vision, purpose, Mission, all of these three terms. We're going to think about the mission that God has given us, which is to take the good news that Jesus saves to all the world. And then we're going to conclude our time with the beginning of a conversation about our vision going forward for Grace Community Church. And our text has led us here. So our text this morning is John 4, 27 to 54. That's a large chunk of real estate. Uh, the truth of the text is not difficult to discern. What we're supposed to get out of this is not too tough. It's just committing to the challenges that are before us that gives us problems. Verses 27 to 30 will be the focus of our public reading. And this, remember, comes on the heels of the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Uh, so would you please stand as God's word is being read. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 30. 
just then his disciples came back. Just as he was finishing up his conversation with the woman. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? I suppose that's like, what are you doing? Or, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town, out of the town and were coming to him. Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to your word this morning. We thank you for what you have done in our individual lives. We thank you for what you have done in our church. And as we think about this mission that Jesus articulated to the disciples for himself and then brought the disciples into, and by extension, us, May our hearts rise with gratitude and anticipation for what you want to do through us individually and especially collectively. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. So if you recall the conversation, how the conversation ended between Jesus and the woman, she is suspecting all along or her suspicion grows that maybe this is somebody really important that I'm talking to. And she says, you know, uh, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So just then, verse 27 tells us that the disciples got back. Now, if you had come on this conversation and you had heard Jesus say, essentially, with power and authority, I am, it's the way it's written in the Greek, ego in me, I am, and then he's essentially saying in response to the question, I am the Messiah. Wouldn't you think that's what would startle you? But they're like, what are you doing talking to a woman? Now, look, don't be... Too harsh on the disciples because it was the culture of the day. And in fact, devout religious, uh, devout religious, uh, that's redundant, uh, Jewish men wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. And so it was quite unusual for the rabbi to be speaking to this woman who was a Samaritan. I mean, their rule went well beyond the Mike Pence rule, right? Billy Graham rule for you older ones, Mike Pence rule for you younger ones. Last week it was noted that that, that purpose comes with a relationship with the Lord. This woman went immediately to the town to tell everyone about Jesus. I remember the day after I trusted Jesus. I was saved in the last, well not the last days, right in the middle of the Jesus movement back in the early 70s. And I was saved at home. I, I, I was converted. I didn't know the language. Had no idea. But I do remember this. Many a time in my life to this point, I had tried to turn over a new leaf was the expression that we used. I'm going to be a better person from now on. And I tried and failed miserably. So therefore, I made up my mind when I prayed that night. And I could just sense 
Something radical had happened to me. But I thought, I'm not saying anything. I have one more month of school. And I'm not saying anything about this to anybody. And I didn't say it to anyone. I said it to any three. I said it to three people. And pretty soon, <clears throat> I was telling everybody that I knew, come and see a man who, even though he knows everything that I've done, has forgiven me. Come and see this man. The Samaritans were impressed enough with this woman's testimony that they all headed to the well in large numbers to see Jesus. So back at Jacob's well, the disciples were encouraging their weary rabbi to eat and gain a little bit of strength. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus needed that rest? The humanity of Christ, what a huge epiphany that will be for you and your under, theological understanding when you get the full understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be human and to be the perfect human and thus the perfect sacrifice for us. So he was weary and they were like, man, you need a little bit to eat. And, and then we see the same pattern over and over that uh, we see the same pattern that we've seen over and over in John. Jesus points to a physical reality to illustrate an important spiritual truth that's initially misunderstood, but then later expands the understanding, for, especially for those of us now who look back and see what was going on in a great way. In this case, Jesus was saying, the will of God is like eating to me. I, I, I think about the old, whenever I, I was trying, writing this, what go, kept going through my head uh, was the old Saturday Night Live imitation of Barbara Streisand. It's butter. It's butter. <laughs> Jesus is like, this is food to me. You don't understand. This is food to me. It's more important than physical sustenance. Here's what Leon Morris says about Jesus' response. Jesus' words are eloquent of a sense of mission and devotion. They speak, too, of the satisfaction it was to the Son to do the will of the Father. Even depriving himself. Do you get this sense or do you think, oh man, I just got to get past this and then I can finally rest? You have this deep sense of satisfaction. The work that Jesus did was no human work. It was that of one sent by God. There is a sense in which it, each stage of Jesus' work, each stage of his life, may be regarded as perfect and complete. And there is <clears throat> a deeper sense, though, in which nothing is complete without the cross. And by the way, that's true of us as well. Our mission is not complete unless it is cross-centered. Which is not always a fun thing to think about. But when you are willing to go to the cross to serve the Lord... That satisfaction will be yours and you'll say, I have food that you know nothing about. In verse 35, 
Jesus brought the disciples into the mission that he's been given, which was to bring the gospel, this good news, to the world. Uh, the disciples may have thought that there was a long time between planting and harvesting, but Jesus said, in, in the kingdom, in the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, the fields are always ready to be harvested. And there are some who are planting and there are some who are harvesting. And wouldn't you know that they come together and recognize that whatever the role is for each one, that there's rejoicing to be done over the fruit that God brings. When Jesus told his disciples that they were reaping where they had not sown, he was most likely referring to uh, John the Baptist, the work that John the Baptist and his followers had done that paved the way for Jesus. Isn't it the pattern that we've seen? He's the forerunner. So Jesus said, we're building on that, that work that has already been done, the foundation that has already been laid. One sows, another reaps. So what is your role here at Grace Community Church? You've got a role, and I may not know what it is. No one may know. Your role may be to pray for this congregation and this work that the Lord is doing in this place. And nobody sees that. Are you satisfied with the role that God has given you in this place? Do not be discouraged. Your role is central to the work of the Lord. Look at the results of this woman's ministry. Many believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, and they went to see for themselves. Now, I've always wondered, in verse 42, where they said, you know, we, we believed in Jesus, in fact, the text tells us, because of what you said, but we've come and seen for ourselves. I've always wondered if they're just sort of forming their own testimonies, they really don't know how to articulate what has happened to them, or if they're sort of putting a dig at this woman who was not the most religious and moral woman. She, she knew a lot about religion, but her morality was very much in question. It's kind of like, well, thank you for pointing us here, but it's not because of what you said. Just let's make the record clear. It's because of what we've seen from this man. I, I get the sense that it didn't matter to her. She didn't care. As long as God got the glory in the end, she was happy. The Samaritans were pleased to say that Jesus was not just a Jewish rabbi who had been nice to Samaritans, but they were pleased to say that he was the savior of the entire world, and they made a correct assessment when they said so. After two more days in Samaria, Jesus moved to Galilee. And even though the Galileans initially accepted him because of all the miracles that they had heard about him doing in Jerusalem and probably driving out the money changers in the temple. And, and for poor folks, they liked that because Jesus had taken a stand for justice in society. And they loved all of that. So they welcomed him gladly, but it wouldn't be long before they turned on him very, very abruptly when he didn't perform for them, just like he wanted them to do. Although Jesus performed miracles, and he performed a specific miracle in, in Cana of Galilee, the miracles were not what was important. 
all scripture had pointed to Jesus and now he was here. So when he came to Cana, where he had performed his first miracle, remember the water and the wine, a royal official whose son was sick came looking to Jesus for him to heal his son and do another miracle. Now, almost certainly, this man uh, worked for Herod Antipas. We don't know if he was Jewish, Gentile. Look, I, 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 the first commentary I read said almost certainly this was a Gentile. And then almost everybody said, else said almost certainly this man was Jewish. If he were Gentile, it would be very easy to talk about the pattern of God saying, tell everybody in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. Certainly we see these patterns in the Gospels. Jesus witnessing to Jews, witnessing to Samaritans, witnessing to Gentiles. And we see the apostles in the book of Acts witnessing to Jews, witnessing to Samaritans, witnessing to Gentiles. And that's the pattern of the mission that God has given all of us. So really, it doesn't matter whether the man was Jewish or Gentile. What really does matter is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, it may appear at first glance that Jesus was harsh with this man, but his rebuke was intended for the crowd, not the man specifically, or at least not the man only. We know that because in the Greek, the word you is plural. It's, it, 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 he's not talking to one person. He's talking to the crowd. So if, our, if your Bible were written in Southern, Jesus would have said it this way. Y'all won't believe nothing if you don't see miracles. <laughs> no miracles. That gives us three negatives and that, that you know. When, when you look for miracles, when you look for miracles and you don't see them, what's your response? Disappointment? Disenchantment? You feel disenfranchised? I just made that up. I'm a preacher. I'm We're, dif we're discouraged, aren't we? Because we're thinking that God is going to do something. We know, we pray with all of our heart. And he doesn't do something and we're like, what's up with that? The truth of scripture, again, back to the word, not the razzle dazzle. Back to the word. The truth is, God is worthy of your trust even when everything goes to the worst possible end. On the cross, bearing our sins, after enduring six hours of God's silence in heaven, Jesus said as he died, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Perfect trust. What is it that has gone so badly wrong in your life, even in the face of your prayers and your obedience to the Lord, that has made you say, really, God, do you even care? Say this instead, by faith, Father, into your hands, I commit my entire life, everything of who I am. 
Well, the official didn't care about theological discussions at this point. He begged Jesus to come to Capernaum and heal his son. And Jesus indicated to him, though, I don't need to be in Capernaum. He spoke the word. He spoke the word, Dr. Cowper. Speech act. He spoke the word. And the boy was healed. The work was done. By the report of the official servants, he knew exactly when his son had been healed. No wonder this man and his entire household believed. And that's why Jesus called the miracles that, that or John, the apostle John, called the miracles that Jesus performed signs. Because they pointed to his authenticity and the authority of his word. Time and again he would just speak the word and it would be accomplished. Reminding us of Isaiah 55. The word of the Lord will not return to him void. It will not come back to him without having accomplished. It always, God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. If you'll recall, there were some people, in fact there were quite a few people who saw Jesus' miracles, and still they didn't believe. I, I, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and they said, well, we're just going to have to kill him. This is getting out of hand. People are going to think he's God or something. As odd as it may sound, it was part of the Father's plan for most of those in power to reject Jesus' own mission. It was the Father's plan that Jesus would be rejected by his own people and that having lived that perfect life, he would go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Or as John the Baptist identified Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you come to church this morning just, just hoping that you will hear something that will help you be good enough to go to heaven, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is you can never be good enough. The good news is that Jesus was good enough and he died. He took your punishment, your judgment in his place. That's why God the Father was silent when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was bearing God's wrath that was designed for our sins. Jesus got in the way. God's judgment that was directed righteously toward you. One of these days, you're going to come face to face that, God, why are you? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of emotional energy. It's not wrong to cry out. It's not wrong even to complain, but we have to come to the place of recognizing that God's plan is perfect. When you confess to God that you are a sinner who is hopelessly lost without him, and when you put all your trust in Jesus, believing that his death was the payment for your sins, then God will forevermore look at you just as if you had lived the life 
that Jesus lived. That you were perfect while you were on this earth. His righteousness was traded for our sin. He took our sin. And now God says, his righteousness is credited to you when you believe. It is our mission as a church to share this good news to all and to tell them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Our mission is the same as it's always been. Preach the gospel to believers and unbelievers alike. Making Jesus known in our community, our region, and in the entire world. I Look, this is picky, I know, but, but understand, I've thought about this for a long time, this vision, purpose, mission, and how easy it is for us to just take a slight shift and, you know, as we talk about, you could just be slightly off course, but as you go, you're far, further and further off course. When people say, our vision, our desire, our purpose is to make Jesus famous in our community. That's up to God whether Jesus is made famous. We are to make him known. It may be that Jesus is infamous in our community. That people despise him. But that's, let's not let it be our fault that that's the case. We are to make Jesus known in our community, in our region, and in all the world. So how do we think the Lord is leading us to fulfill our role in accomplishing this task? How can we stay on mission? The elders and deacons have been addressing this question uh, as we head into these next several years for quite a while now. And although we don't, we're moving in a direction for, for, for planning, when concrete plans are, are fully established and we'll bring the entire congregation into participation as we move forward. I won't go into the details, but I will say that <clears throat> we have dis that we have discussed this far, but I can say that although we plan with the church's affirmation to build a larger sanctuary and all the attendant facilities that go with it eventually that will comfortably seat all of us in one service, we do not believe it's God's calling for us to get as large as we can possibly get on this property, on this site. Even though it is one of the fastest growing areas percentage-wise in the nation. It is our desire to spread the gospel in our own backyard. And then that reaches out to all the world through planting churches. In the New Testament accounts, God would move people to new locations when the churches became large. Does God bless the megachurches that are so popular in our land today? They're doing a lot of great work. I, I would say absolutely. He blesses many of those churches when the gospel is, is faithfully preached and, and people live in community and, and are on mission as they should be. God blesses a lot of those churches. Is that model sustainable? We will see. If we lose our freedom to worship, to worship as we wish, then the answer is simple. No, that model is not sustainable. It's, it, do you know any good megachurches in North Korea, for instance? 
Now, while it looks like challenges to our freedom to worship are, as we see fit are going to increase, we do not need just yet to be planning for underground churches to be established in our area. It does seem to our elders, though, that our best focus for gospel ministry and being on mission is through planning churches out of Grace Community Church. Look, I know that moving to two services has been difficult for some of you, right? It's nice to be back here for one service, but remember, 1st of August, we're going right back to two services. The students are gone today. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're essentially, we got a lot of people out today. So we're almost full as it is. And the numbers will go down in the summer, so it's right that we're on this summer schedule. But we're going right back to two services in August. And it's difficult for a lot of us, though, because it feels like it's just the family. It's not that the family is divided. It's just that you don't see the family that you used to see as often as you did before, and especially in this very moment of the week that, that, that it's so um, important to all of us, that this hour that we come together to worship the Lord. That's not only an understandable response, it's an appropriate response in many ways. I mean, we're going to see later in John, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It is right. It's part of establishing believers to be together in community. We were not intended to live this life in isolation, this Christian life in isolation. Even theological study is best uh, accomplished in community. Not alone, which is one of the benefits of, of our home groups. We learn best together. None of this, though, invalidates the importance of thinking about expansion even to our personal hurt. Against our personal preferences. The very people to, to, to whom Jesus spoke in John 13 35, bonded to, together to create the world's first megachurch. I think it was called Jerusalem Community Church. I'm pretty sure that was it, JCC. Uh, one of the ways that they kept a large church small was through small groups, home groups. And you would be surprised at how many similarities there are in Grace Community Church and the first church that was established at Jerusalem. It didn't look exactly the same, of course. Uh, but it looked surprisingly like that, which was the goal of the founders of this church, was to, as much as we can, follow the pattern that's in Acts 2 and then lived out in all of Acts and, and uh, the, the epistles, the teaching in the epistles. So, it looked a lot like grace except for the thousands of attendants in attendance, you know, and 3,000 getting saved, 3,000 men, plus the women in children. And, 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 and this church in Jerusalem continued to grow and thrive until persecution came. Only then in God's sovereign plan were they scattered. Now, look, could it have happened without that persecution? Yes, but do you know that because of that persecution, the way that God used that to scatter the church, that we're here together today, worshiping our Savior 
Because these people, not that they were willing to divide and, 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 and multiply, but they said, we have no choice. They didn't leave Jesus behind when they left the church behind. Man, they kept establishing new churches wherever they went. Tradition, now think about this. Tradition tells us that many of the disciples were martyred. But to my knowledge, no two of them died together. Remember? Here will all men know you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Man, we need to stay together and just prove that we're Jesus' disciples. And that will attract people to Christ. That's true. That's all true. But God moved them on mission. And look, without running it down, most of what we know about the disciples has come down to us through oral history and tradition. So we're not certain that it's all the case, but... Man, if you start plotting on the map where these guys died alone, sometimes they would go together in twos, but they would die in different places, taking the gospel to a new place. You'd be amazed at God's plan for moving the gospel out. Why did they end up in these different places? <clears throat> they were on mission. Just as Jesus challenged them to be in John 4. Would it be fair to say that planning to expand our facilities to include more people than what we have here this morning in one service and then to have the facilities for children's ministry and be able to fellowship together in community? One deacon, I think it was a deacon who said this week, if we can build a building where we don't have to set up and take down chairs, I'm for it, you know. Uh, I get that because we used to be a part of the church over there. And some of you are doing what many of us have done for a long time and don't do as much now. But again, every one of our roles is important. Is it fair to say that all of this <clears throat> is part of the vision going forward? It would be, but just remember... Don't think of vision as an infallible plan that the Holy Spirit has delivered to us on a silver platter. It's not the way it works. We're following the biblical model of many minds and many hearts providing safety and direction and wisdom in the counsel of those who are gathered together. The most significant element of our thoughts about the future of Grace Community Church that I want to challenge you with this morning is to commit to planting new churches. As our numbers increase and as our area steadily becomes a great new harvest field, the, the, crop, the, 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 the crops are white under harvest and it's coming to us. We don't even have to go anywhere. It's just right here in our backyard. Pray that the Lord will raise up men and women who are willing to step out on mission. To be vessels fit for the Lord's use to replicate the good things that he has done here. Do you think what God has done here would be great to see in other churches in the area? I think so. He will do it, but we need to be willing and usable vessels. 
So as we're thinking, wouldn't it be great to have somewhere between 10 and 15 singles and couples with experience in much of the ministry that makes grace such a special place uh, to be willing to band together and expand and, and plant other churches in our area? Wouldn't it be a blessing to see represented in the planting group those who are gifted, trained, and prepared to lead in children's ministry and mission philosophy and practice and extraordinary service that we're so blessed with here, people that we don't see out front, but who we could not do without. To have worship and music ministry represented and elders and deacons and those gifted in the tasks that are needed for a new church plant. What happens? So many start with two or three families. Let's start with 10 or 15. Would you pray that God will raise up not only men and women, but boys and girls with those men and women who have pioneering and persevering hearts and are willing to step out and leave the security of this fold for the sake of kingdom ministry and expansion? Would you also pray that God will enable those of us who stay to absorb the challenges that are left when our brothers and sisters leave us, both structurally and financially? You know, this is all, we've got to be preparing for all of this. Do not dread that God may call you or may call your best friend to be a part of this great mission task. He will put this delightful burden on the hearts of those that he desires to send. Pray that God <clears throat> will prepare your heart for the sacrifices that will come with this that need to be made whether you go or not, whether you go or stay, because there will be sacrifices. And when someone says, why are we doing this? Is there a better response than I have food to eat that you don't know anything about? Jesus has given us the example. You think Jesus was heading where he personally wanted to go? Well, yes and no, but he knew he was going to the cross. There was a big part of him that didn't want to go, but he did it for us. When he calls us, to go, he does not call us to anything that he has not done himself. And what a shame when God is accomplishing his great work without us because we're too comfortable to be troubled. You know, the great fear back in the 50s was that all the new advances in technology and mechanical devices. Uh, not many people were thinking about computers in those days, but people were thinking about, man, we got refrigerators, we got air conditioning, we got all kinds of things that make life a lot easier, and we don't have to spend near the time just getting through the day that, that people used to. <coughs> so sociologists were deeply concerned that all the free time was going to allow people to be idle and get in trouble. If there's anybody idling here, I don't know who you are. I mean, we're all just to the wall, it feels like, busy. And so many of us just can't even think about 
changing up the routine, especially in ways that feel so settled and so good. And God calls us to think about at the highest levels in our lives, personally and collectively, kingdom mission. The plan for identifying, training, and sending is well underway in the elder and deacon conversations. But it begins church-wide with introducing and inculcating, beginning to inculcate a culture of planning new churches. And this is that introduction. Let's pray. Lord, as I just look around at my brothers and sisters in this place, I am deeply moved to a heart of gratitude that you have called us together. And Lord, uh, we acknowledge that one of the reasons that you have blessed our ministry the ways that you have is that many of us have been together for a long time. And there is such stability and strength in the unity of brothers and sisters who have done this for a long time. But we recognize that your mission sometimes jars us out of our comfort zones. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart to multiply, to be on mission. In fact, it's coming to us. What choice do we have? We've got to either start closing the doors at a certain hour or making ways for people to be a part of what you have done at Grace Community Church. So give us a heart to multiply, to replicate, to be on mission, to be willing to sacrifice our personal preferences and plans so that gospel ministry in our area might grow and thrive in fields that are already white in the harvest. Lord, early in our Christian lives, we don't even know what it means when we say we give ourselves fully to you. As we grow, we don't care in those early days. We just want everybody to know about Jesus. As we grow, we recognize the sacrifice that is required. And may we say like Paul said in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. May Jesus be exalted in our cross-centered lives. May it be true in the life of our church as the well of our, our lives individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.